Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, September 5th, 2021 from the book of Romans in chapter 2. You could have a new heart and a new start, be completely forgiven of everything you've ever done to or will do. It's absolutely free. And um, so there's a place, and it's like if there's a, in chapter 12, he said, so like if you've gotten everything I've said up to this point, like people who believe that, like who really get their heart around it, they would be people, there's a place where he said, he said, just keep yourself spiritually. It's a word that almost means bubbly. Like you would be like spiritually bubbly and you'd be joyful in affliction. You would love like everyone. And it's, he says, in the first verse, he said, of chapter 12, he said, I, he said uh, I, I'm just really begging you guys to present your body as a living sacrifice. Be this person I'm talking about because it's your, it's your spiritual, it's just, it's your spiritual worship. But the word, I don't know why they translate it spiritual, but the Greek word is the word uh, logikos. And it's like, if you understand what I've said up to this point, it's just logical that you should be this bubbly, like joyful, loving person. And then, and so I've wondered, like, why aren't, like, the people of Jesus more that way? And um, why aren't we, like, turning the world upside down? There's a place in chapter 4 where he just says, if you get what I've been talking about up to this point, you'd be, like, the happiest people in the world. We should be the happiest people in the world. And maybe it's because we don't slow down enough to read it. So, anyway, that's just, I was just going to talk, like, just, I've just been reading it. In Romans 1 and Romans 2 and Romans 3 and Romans 4. And why, if I let that settle in my heart, I'd be so happy. Um, so, um, shoo, this is going to be a tough one. And, you know, I just have a heart full of stuff that I've been thinking about and just reading about. And I just came here today thinking, like, I don't want to be a pill. Like, I don't want to be difficult. But my heart is full of it. And um, I just don't mean to, for this to be difficult. But I, I've, you know, so I may not have an easy time today. Anyway, if you're visiting, you're probably thinking, that guy is weird as heck. But <laughs> which is true. <laughs> okay, so Romans chapter 2, Paul says, therefore, you don't have any excuse if you pass judge on, judgment on someone else because whatever point you judge somebody else, you're condemning yourself because you pass judgment and you do the same stuff. We know that God's judgment is against those who do such things, and it's based on truth. So when you, like a mere human being, pass judgment on them and you do the same thing, do you think you're going to escape God's judgment? Don't you know do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, but it's because of your stubborn, stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed, and he'll repay each person according to what they've done. Down below, he said, you who boast in like always doing what's right, do you dishonor God by not doing what's right? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I mean, this is a chapter that is, when you get to chapter 4, he's like, if you understand this, this is why you'd be like the happiest person in the world. So, 
Lord, help me. Help me not make a mess of this and help me to get through it and help me. I just, I just need your help super much in Jesus' name. Amen. So the other, uh, gosh, this was a few, a couple of months ago. Well, no, it was, it was, it was before like the coronavirus came, but I was one day, I was walking from like where I teach my class up at the, up at the Morgan County prison and there's a long sidewalk that you walk down. And so I was walking by kind of like the rec yard where they have the softball field and the, what they call the weight pile and all that. And this, there's a guy that's just super, super joyful and his name is Jeff. And he was like way over there almost by the softball field. And he saw me, he said, he started running towards me and he said, Tom, I've got to tell you something. So I stopped and waited. He said, I've got to tell you something. I have the most wonderful news. Something wonderful has happened to me. And I was like, what, Jeff? What has happened when he got there right to the fence? He said, I saved 15% of my car insurance when I switched to Geico. And I was like, but I mean, I, I was like, you are crazy. But some of those guys are super crazy. I mean, just because they, they're just so full of joy. Like when we, um, so like every third Wednesday, our worship team goes up there and does the worship service and they, and I'll give like the same message that I give here and I get three standing ovations. And I mean, like, it is so cool. And the, um, I should give it up there first and just come here thinking, this is better than they think it is. But they, um, <laughs> there's a guy, there's a young man, well, I say he's young, he's 34, but um, his name is Kenny. He was, he went to prison when he was, he's a, uh, He's a young African-American from Memphis, and he went to prison when he was 17. So he's officially been incarcerated half of his life. And he's come to know Jesus, and he's so full of love, and he's so full of joy. And um, he told me, he said, Tom, he loves our worship team, like when we come up there, because most of the time they have, well, most of the time it's Hillsong, you know, that they listen to on worship stuff. And when Lee throws in a Kirk Franklin song, that place, besides the fact they love his song, that place blows up. And it is so awesome. And Kenny, he told me, he said, Tom, I'm going to start do, doing my giving to Triple C. And I was like, what? And it's a lot of paperwork they had to fill out. And he filled it all out. He said, I'm going to start doing it. I'm going to start giving my giving to God. I'm going to give it to Triple C. I mean, nobody's ever done that before. And I was like, you don't have to do that. Anyway, he said, yeah, I'm sending a check for $24. And then a couple of weeks later, he said, I'm sending another check for $24. And I said, Kenny, are you sure? You need to think about it. You need this money. I said, you don't need to be tithing to Triple C. And he said, oh, no, I'm not tithing to Triple C. That's all my money. That's my whole salary. Jesus just told me to give everything to him, and he would take care of me. And I am, and he is, and I'm so excited. And one thing about those guys is that they all, they all, they all wear the same clothes. Like they all wear light blue kind of scrubs with a t-shirt underneath. If it's too hot, they take their top off, their top scrubs off and just wear a t-shirt. And in the wintertime, they wear bl light blue scrubs top and blue jeans and a blue jean jacket, which I've always liked them, and I've always wanted to get me one. And I said, how do you get one of these? And one of them said, I, I can tell you how to get one. Um, it's not worth it. But, but, um, but they all wear the same colors, but there's a difference in those that love Jesus. You can just see it, there's a joy. And so I'm doing this thing at UT Hospital. One thing I've learned about UT, about UT Hospital is uh, I'm doing this kind of a continuing education thing. And so I'm over there now, you know, for the next, I've done three weeks and I've got um, 15 weeks left. But UT Hospital, I don't think 
UT hospitals color-coded, like the doctors all wear certain color scrubs and a white jacket, and the RNs wear another color scrubs, and the certified nurse assistants wear another color scrubs, and students, whether they're from Lincoln Memorial or UT Medical or um, South College or whatever, they wear another color scrubs. People that are on the maintenance team, they wear another color scrubs, but the patient's gowns are all the same color. And it made me realize that no matter, there's something about suffering that makes people more human, I guess, and whether or not you have a PhD or you didn't get your GED, they all wear um, the same color. But sometimes there's a difference, and sometimes the difference is some that are more joyful. It's because, sometimes it's because of Jesus. And even if they're hurting so much that they, you wouldn't really call it joyful, they're courageous and they're peaceful and they wear the same color. But the difference is Jesus. And I noticed that about prisoners and about patients, that they are people who wear the same color. But the one, sometimes the ones who are different, it's Jesus that makes them different. And Jesus said, I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. And I came for sinners. I came for prisoners and patients. I came for people who wear the same color. I mean, everybody is, spiritually, everybody's a prisoner and a patient. But some people know it and some people don't. Everybody needs Jesus. Some people know it and some people don't. But the ones who do, there's something different about them. And like the, they're, un, they're unexceptional, except they have him. The, you know, like the most, three of the most joyful, like some of the most joyful people in the New Testament, you don't even know what their name is. There was, there was a leper in Luke chapter 17, so thankful that he just came back to Jesus and fell on his feet and worshiped him. And a prostitute in Luke chapter seven, who burst, burst into a party she wasn't invited to, and just started weeping. She was so thankful and weeping and soaking Jesus' feet and then kissing them and pouring oil on them. There's a beggar in Acts chapter three that in the name of Jesus, he was healed and he just started dancing and Peter went on trial the next day and he says I'm on trial for a, Jesus healing someone and you can see him right here and the guy was still there still with him still still dancing you know and the leper was unclean and the prostitute was unloved and the beggar was unproductive they were unexceptional but had found that the one who was exceptional was Jesus they were unlovely, but they found that he was love. They were unsavory, and they had found a savior. Jesus gives people who know they're unexceptional, people who wear the same color, he gives them joy. But another thing that Jesus gave people a lot in the New Testament, it's almost like the opposite, was anger. A lot of people got instantaneously and very, very angry at him. And one of the, I think one of the, the thing that they had in common is that they were all people who felt that they were exceptional. Like the, in, in Luke chapter four, Jesus gave one of his first sermons in his hometown of Nazareth, where, you know, he was like the hometown boy and they were so proud of him. They looked at him and said, you are like the best of us. And he gave a sermon where he began quoting from Isaiah 61, 
and saying that he was the Messiah King, that he was the King and they were his subjects. And not only were they his subjects, but he had come from people who weren't like them from other countries and other ethnicities. And you're not exceptional. And they were like, we thought you were the best of us. Now you're saying there's you and the rest of us. And they tried to push him off a cliff. They were so angry. There's a place in Mark chapter 11 where Jesus told some people in the temple, the temple is a place for everyone. It's not just for y'all. It's for people from other ethnicities. It's from people from other countries. They're as important to God as you. You're not exceptional. And they decided to figure out a way that they would kill him. In John chapter eight, he told some people, you're not a child of God because you come from a certain family, or you're not a child of God because you come from a certain country. You're not exceptional to people who thought they were so, ex they were like, no, we're not like other people. We don't, we don't eat the foods other people do. We don't frequent the crowds other people do. We don't dress like everyone. We don't wear the same color. We're exceptional. He said, no, you're not. And it made them super angry. So Romans chapter 12, like in Romans chapter 1, Paul said, okay, I've got really, 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 really awesome news to tell you. I mean, y'all know it, but I just want to go over it with you. But before I do, in Romans chapter 1, 18 through chapter 3, verse 20, he said, I have some really bad news to tell you and the really bad news I have to tell you about the really, 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 really awesome news is that you really, 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 really need it. And so like in chapter one, he's like, everybody has so turned from God that the wrath of God is appropriate and indicated for every human being. And then he got the feeling that there were people who were like super religious and exceptional. And they were like, no, we're exceptional. And so all Romans chapter two is, is saying, you're not. You're not exceptional. Nobody is exceptional. Everybody is hopelessly guilty and everybody is hopelessly polluted. And I think it's like verse four, that if you think you're exceptional and I tell you about the mercy of God, you'll hate it. You would hate it and you'll be unrepentant, which unrepentance unre means it comes from two words, a word to change your mind and said, you'll never change your mind. Our, my dad thought this way. My granddad thought this way. I think this way. My sons and daughters are going to think this way, that we are exceptional people. And Paul said, nope, nobody is. One person, uh, well, no, a lot of people have used um, a certain explanation of the good news of Jesus called the Roman road. And it just uses the scriptures from the letter to the Romans. And it's in, if you think about the Roman road starting in chapter one and even ending in chapter four about happiness and about being the most joyful person you could possibly be and happy, happier than anybody you know, that road runs through Romans chapter two. And one thing that you have to embrace is that I am not exceptional, that we are, I'm just, I'm a patient spiritually and a prisoner. I'm sick and a sinner just like everyone else. And I'm not exceptional because I come from a certain family or because I come from a certain country. 
So I've been reading, I've been hearing a lot lately about, like even in our public schools and people saying one thing that we have to teach is that is, is American exceptionalism that like, I'm exceptional because I'm an American. And I think that America is the most awesome place in the world. I think where I live, is the most awesome place in the world. I have mornings sometimes where I'm running down my road in Oliver Springs. I hate, I don't know if you guys could ever believe this, but sometimes I start to cry. And it's just because it's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. I'll have a moment and it's just so beautiful. And I think that coming over, oh, so we had a couple of friends come from California. They wanted, to, like all of them, but they just wanted to decide if they want to move to Tennessee. So they, um, we used to work with her. So t they came to our house and we were going to take them to Knoxville, show them downtown Knoxville and show them, go, take them around the Smokies. But Tina was fixing lunch. And I said, before you do, I need to show you my little town of Oliver Springs. It'll only take 10 minutes. And we were driving down thing and we got, and we, we, I said, have y'all ever seen the movie October Sky? And they said, we love that movie. It's my favorite movie. We've seen it 20 times. She said, I show it to my class every year. Right when we got down to the exit, I was thinking, this is gonna be a cooler trip than they thought it was. <laughs> so we go down to Oliver Springs, they're like, oh my gosh. You know, but, um, Anyway, so I personally think the view when you get on Milton Lake Drive, like where you get to the high point and you look down, I've been, all, I've been in the Alps, I've been in the Andes, that's one of the most beautiful views in all the world. And I, you know, I think America, there, I don't know of any other country, we were given a statue from France to commemorate the fact that together we fought against the English and we turned it into a statue to commemorate a golden door that we have. And it has a poem that says, give me your tired. If you need a new start, if you need hope, this is a place where you can come and start over, a place of hope. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuge of your teeming sure. Send them the hopeless, helpless toss to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. That is so awesome. But it doesn't mean that I'm an exceptional human being because I'm an American. There's no such thing as that. There's no such thing as anybody being exceptional because of the family that they come from. We're all prisoners and patients, sick and sinful sinners. We all are. I'm not exceptional because I come from a certain family or I come from a certain country. And it's important for me to look at myself. And so, there, so I've been hearing about like different states, including our states that have been saying that you, you're not allowed to teach in public schools that racism has been a fundamental element of our history. And I'm like, come on now, come on. You don't discover, you don't discover a land that has 20 million inhabitants with their own culture and civilization. And then after 300 years, there's only 238,000 of them left and we've never talked about that. I mean, 13 million Africans were captured and brought to our continent. 13 million didn't come. Millions of them died chained naked in misery. Abraham Lincoln said in his greatest speech, it was the speech that he gave 10 days before he died in his second inauguralization. And he said, we thought we were fighting a civil war, but he said, but it wasn't. It was the judgment of God to sink all of the wealth piled high by 250 years of unrequited toil. 
such that every drop of blood shed by the lash of the bondsman would be paid for by another shed by the sword. 600,000 slave sales that have been documented indicate between 1820 and 1860 that 50% of the slave sales in the United States separated children from their parents never to see them again. And 25% of them separated a husband from his wife never to see each other again. You know, I went to Tina and I went and 2000, 2017, to the um, to Washington D.C. and I was running the, on the last day we were there on the National Mall, and I ran by the Museum of the History of, Af of African American History, and I wanted to. You had to have a ticket to get in. It was free, but you had to have a ticket. And we didn't have tickets, and I really, really wanted to get in. And I asked the Lord, please, I want to get in there today. Will you give me a ticket to get in there today? So Tina and I went there about two o'clock, and there was uh, two people in line, two people, then two more people, and then us. And the girl in the front line said, "Does anybody? I have got four tickets. Does anybody need a ticket?" And those people raised their hand, and we raised their hand. And I told the girl, I said, "I asked Jesus this morning to give me these tickets," and she said, "We serve a mighty God." I said, mm, we sure do. So you go in and there's a lobby, the top three floors. The top floor is the history of African-Americans in music and American music. And then the middle floor is sports. And then the next floor is TV and films. And so when we went to the top floor and there was like Chuck Berry's guitar and Michael Jackson's like sequin glove and everything, there's so much cool stuff. The first thing was a dress and I knew exactly what it was. It was the dress like Marian Anderson was, Eleanor Roosevelt asked her, she was the first African-American to sing with the Metropolitan Opera. And she asked her to do a concert at the concert hall of the Daughters of the American Revolution. When they found out who it was, they wouldn't allow her to do it. And Eleanor Roosevelt quit the Daughters of the American Revolution that day and started and set up a concert on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And Marian Anderson started out by singing, my country tis of thee, sweet land of the, and she changed the words and she said, of thee we sing. And that was the dress she wore. And then you, I, we went down to the next floor. And I was looking for a Brooklyn Dodgers jersey with a big 42 and I found it and a boxing robe that said Ali on the back. And there was a case where there were the, the black glove that, that, um, that Tommy Smith wore and John Carlos wore when they won first in the gold and bronze medal in the 68 Mexico City Olympics. And they raised their hands and bowed their head and wore those black gloves. There was, a, there was an African-American guy about my age standing beside me. And I said, do you remember that day? He said, mm-hmm. And I said, what were you thinking? And he was said, I was thinking, mm-mm. They've done it now. And I thought, <laughs> but then, you know, but then when you're done, you go down to the lobby and then you go down to the three floors below and you get on an elevator. There was about, I, I felt like 30 of us on this elevator. And the walls are smoked glass and you could see illuminated a date and it said 2016. That's the day the museum opened and it starts to go down and it says 1968, 1965, 1877. And, tell, and you start to hear this music and it's this sweet African music and you get down to the bottom and everybody is so silent. And it says 1619. And you get out and there's, you know, there's these displays of African culture and African music. And then you see the remnants of one of the first slave ships and 
Portuguese slave ship, and then you start to see shackles, and then you see shackles for children. And I just felt like I wanted to cry the whole time. We were about the only white people there, and I thought, I just, I was afraid that somebody might think, it's a little late. It's a little late for your tears now. And it just, I've read stuff, like I've been reading what Southern white pastors and theologians, how they defended slavery. And they said stuff like, the Bible never explicitly condemns it. And Ephesians 6 says, slaves, servants, slaves, obey your masters. And Paul sent a runaway slave, Onesimus, home to Philemon and said, take him back. And African-American pastors and African-American theologians, they wrote different stuff. They read the Bible in a different way. And they said, Matthew chapter seven said, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you wouldn't want this done to you, right? And Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Parents, raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. How are we going to do that when you sell them away from me? And Paul said, we are sons and daughters of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That makes us brothers. And nobody enslaves their brothers. And, the, and the, the, there was one theologian who said that slavery in the Old Testament was not racially based. It was economics based. And, but in any case, after seven years, all slaves were set free. And the master was responsible to set them up financially for their restart. And according to the book of Deuteronomy and according to the book of Isaiah, the vision of the Old Testament was that the laws of God, people, the nations would see their laws and say, no one has laws as awesome in this. No one has a God so compassionate and kind as this. And the laws of God as people faithfully lived them out would spread around the world. And the vision of the Old Testament was, the, was eventually would be the global emancipation of all slaves and the end of worldwide slavery and Onesimus wasn't a runaway slave, he was an escape slave. And Paul called himself a slave of Christ in that letter and called Onesimus his brother and said to Philemon, I'm sending you back your brother and nobody enslaves their family. But anyway, so there's a place in Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus was talking to people who thought they were super exceptional. And he starts talking about crimes that happened six centuries before, seven centuries before. And he said, y'all did it. And they're like, we didn't do this. But what he was saying was, these are your people. This is what people do. And you need to never forget that you are people too. And there was a guy, a guy named Yehiel Dinur, who spent two years at Auschwitz. And um, when Adolf Eichmann was captured in Argentina, he was tried at Nuremberg in 1961. And Yehiel Dinur was a witness. And when Eichmann came in, he began to scream and he passed out. And Mike Wallace asked him on 60 Minutes, why did you pass out? And he said, I don't know what I was expecting after 18 years. I was expecting maybe a monster or some kind of demon person. But he was a human being. And I got the thought, he is just like me. I am just like him. There was a guy, um, a guy I love to read, a guy named Brian Stevenson. He was the guy in the movie Just Mercy. It was about him. And he went to 
the Apartheid Museum in Johannesburg because he was building a narrative memorial and a museum for the 6,200 lynching victims that have happened in the United States. I can't even talk about that. But nobody's ever remembered them. And so, and he went with two Swedish friends who were super white. And when you go to the Apartheid Museum, they give you a, a ticket to get in. And it says white or colored. And they gave him a ticket that says colored. And he gave his, two of his white friends a ticket that said white. And you had to go through the white entrance or the colored entrance. And they were so embarrassed that they felt so much shame by it. Because the point of the museum is that may this never happen again. And they, and they, asked, they asked the African woman at the desk, could we have a different ticket? And she said, no, this is the ticket you get. And if you don't use it, you can't go in. And you can go back home and tell your friends you didn't have the courage to face your past. So. It's just that if a person is angry, because they indeed, because Paul makes them face the fact that they're not, nobody's exceptional because of the family we come from or the country we come from. If that makes me angry, Jesus Christ, his death, his life, his resurrection, if I insist on thinking I'm exceptional, it will make no sense to me. And I won't be happy. I'll be angry my entire life. There's a place in Psalm 32 that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 14, four, chapter 4, where he says, blessed, happy. It's a word that means happy. Happy is the person whose sins are forgiven, whose iniquity is covered. Happy is the person in whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. And he doesn't go any further, but the psalm says, and in whose heart there is no deceit. When I kept silent about who I really was, he said, my strength was dried up like the heat of summer. And I was just groaning. I was just, I was just unhappy. The pathway to being happy is to admit who I am. Admit the truth about myself. And if you see something in me, I need you to tell me. And if God shows me something about myself, I need to admit it because I want to be happy. I want to embrace the fact that spiritually, I'm a prisoner. Spiritually, I'm a patient. Spiritually, I wear the same clothes as everyone. And sometimes I think that God has to push people to embrace the fact that they're not exceptional. They, I mean, I think that Peter felt that way. I think he felt, I'm kind of an exceptional person. And he was easily angry. And Jesus told them, one of you is going to betray me. And he was like, I never, I mean, these doofuses, I could imagine them doing, I will never do it. I will never, I am exceptional. I am not like them. And Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to have to let the devil um, treat you like a grain of wheat tonight. So a grain of wheat, uh, in order for it to grow, in order for it to produce other wheat that you can make bread to make people strong and feed them. It has to be crushed because on the outside of it, there's a protective shell. On the outside of me, there's a protective shell. On the outside of you, there's a protective shell. It's my self-image of myself. It's, my, it's the person that I want you to believe that I am. It's the person that I want to believe that I am, but I'm not. It's the person I am on Instagram. It's my digital double. But that's not who I really am. 
And when that is broken, when I'm in a situation where that is broken, and I look at myself and I found out this is who I really, really am. And in that moment, I say to Jesus, could you love this? And Jesus says to you in that moment, that's the you I've always loved. I didn't love the person that you think you are. I never loved the person that you want other people to think you are. Sometimes I've told people this a lot. I, I said, you know, Jesus, he doesn't love everyone. He doesn't love Santa Claus. He doesn't love Batman. He doesn't love Tom Sawyer. He doesn't love fictional people. He doesn't love people who don't actually exist. He doesn't love the person that you think you are. He loves the one that you actually are. And that's when you find out, even though you're unexceptional, he's exceptional. Even though you're unlovely, he is love. Even though you're unsavory, you have a savior. And it's the happiest day. There was a guy, he was in AA, and he said, those are the happiest people I know. They're so much happier than the people in my church. And I wish my church was more like this, but to be an AA, you have to admit, you're powerless over alcohol. Your life has become unmanageable. You, have to t you need a power greater than yourself to restore you to sanity. You have to turn your life and will over to God. You're in a room full of people that will admit that stuff. They're the happiest people you know. Lord Jesus, Help us to embrace, not only to embrace, but to love our unacceptability, our unexceptional ability, that we're not exceptional, that we wear the same clothes. Spiritually, we're patients. Spiritually, we're prisoners. Spiritually, we're sick and sinful. Because those are the only people you came for. And once we've truly found you, we'll be happier than we've ever been. With your life you paid, by your death we're sealed, by your love, by your blood, by your wounds we are healed, by your love, by your blood, by your How can this be? How are you in chains? How am I set free while you bear my shame? All my wrong made right, all my past undone, my dark heart.
the sun 